9-0. Target is westbound. Westbound. Watch him. 9-7. Watch him. Head down. He's going to be walking right by you. He's taking a really, really good look at that address. Okay, he's by you. 9-0-9-1. Target is walking towards you on the north side. Watch him. Watch him. Watch him there. He's really Get off the road. Think he, oh, he just did a U-boat. He's coming back the other way. All units stand by. Stand by. This guy is all over the place. The Fictional Crime Drama Podcast. Episode number four. Robbers, Drugs, Hate, and Municipal Malfeasance. Part one. Detective Filler was finally almost finished up with the annual reviews for the team. It had been a struggle, with a little bit of avoidance on his part. The team was awesome, but the forms and process had almost become unmanageable. Sitting down with each member of the crew was good. They were all high performers who just liked to work. You can't beat that. One of his growing problems was the influx of transfer requests into the team. Originally, Filler just chose who he wanted on the team, and then the big bosses just made it happen. Now, everyone thought there should be a process involved. Only two people had ever left, Antonio and John, and their successors were handpicked by Filler. So far, the detective superintendent was showing no interest in formalizing anything, so Filler probably had some time. One person that had now joined the team was a surprise. Adrian, from the National Intelligence Service, NIS, is now a member of the team. He's on a lateral. From a non-police organization to a highly trained and experienced investigative squad with a wide range of police skill sets. Well, someone talked to someone and it just happened. Adrian was quickly sworn in as a special constable, and the chief signed an authorization for him to carry a police-issued firearm. After two weeks at the police training center on the retread course, the chief signed off. Reggie had been up to the college to get an issue repaired with his pistol when he saw Adrian doing firearms training. Apparently, the guy is a better shot than anyone else on the team. All Reggie said, it was a work of art. And apparently saw Adrian break down his pistol like Olympic time. Now, the police service does have special constables, but they usually are used for maybe court security or bylaw enforcement. This was a little different. Phil had only been given a very brief summary of Adrian's experience in the process, which he had little or no say. Summary mentions he spent time in the military, and then at least 12 years in NIS, all of which was in surveillance. So they were a person up, so as long as Adrian could do surveillance, good for the team. So it was 3 o'clock p.m., and the whole team, along with its new member, were getting briefed by Janelle on their latest job. A synagogue, mosque, and two Christian churches had been vandalizing what can only be described as a hate crime. Unknown person or persons had broken into the four churches and then vandalized the insides, even trying to start fires. On the way out of the places of worship, whoever was responsible then spray-painted nasty things on the outer walls. The faithful were in an uproar. And the whole community was, and who could blame them? The faithful were united and were making sure every senior police officer and every local politician knew their pain. It was even reaching the federal government. So there had been a lot of activity over the past week to reassure the public with big displays of police patrols and the investigative units going around trying to locate evidence and witnesses. There was none. Up until this point, the team had not been involved as there was nothing to work on. Until now. An anonymous tip had come in that a guy named Oscar, with an address supplied, had a couple buddies and they'd been bragging a bit after some daytime drinking that they'd done the churches. 
Now, this type of activity is offensive, certainly to the general public, but the criminal world doesn't like this type of thing. It gives them a bad name and creates too much police activity, which then cuts into legitimate criminal activity. Someone had dropped a dime on Oscar and has supplied just enough information to get things rolling. It was very civically minded of them to assist. Janelle has a whole lot of information about Oscar and much less about a loose group of four or five guys he has hung out with in the past. The team is going to concentrate on Oscar and see who he leads them to or what. Filler puts Adrian out with Phil for his first night, with instructions to Phil to evaluate and assist Adrian with the job. Filler isn't sold, but if he's a good surveillance and he's free, more the merrier. The team sets up on a street of shop fronts. Oscar lives in a crappy apartment above a Jamaican patty shop. Man, it smells good. The team are fighting over who gets to go in and check out the premises, while of course picking up some of the wares. It does smell good. Phil sends an agent who comes back with like 10 patties in a paper bag. He advises over the tactical channel in an encyclopedic manner, the layout of the building along with fire escapes, the works. Wow, he's impressive. Ted and Reggie have a view of the back with Phil and Adrian out front. Everyone else is spread out. Over the course of the night, there's no doubt going to be a continual handover of patties. Life on a police team. At 9 p.m., Oscar comes out of the door of the stairs that lead up to his apartment. He is dressed in black combat trousers, black boots, and a black hoodie with some metal band logos on it. Belf calls out the name of the Nordic Death Metal Group. Filler's not sure he wants to know how she knows that. It's quite obvious Filler doesn't know as much about the team's personal life as he might. So the team follows Oscar on, in cars and on foot. The team has a couple bikes, just in case they're necessary during the run. Oscar goes a couple blocks down and enters a greasy spoon and sits down at the corner and orders a beer. Jacques goes in and sits down, finding a place near the window. About ten minutes later, Ricky goes in as well and sits near the front door so he can take a look as people leave. After a couple beers, Oscar looks at his phone and gets up to leave. Outside, he waits for a couple minutes. Is he doing counter? So far, he hasn't seemed like the type. Then this other guy, all dressed in black, sporting another rock group, shows up. Bev calls out that group as well. What does she do in her time off? Filler's wondering. Not what he thought at all. The two rock fans start walking down the street. One block over, they turn across a darkened park. Some of the team has been paralleling them, and Ted spots them very quickly. The two are sitting at the far side of the park on a bench smoking pot. The team spreads out. About 30 minutes later, they are joined by two more friends, all dressed in black as well. One of the guys brings out a bottle of all the hard stuff, and they begin drinking. A little bit of yelling and posturing is going on. It's like some medieval crappy thing. After about an hour, they seem to be getting their courage up for something. They all start noisily walking down some side streets. The streets are mostly houses, but there are occasional corner stores, a graveyard, or a church. A couple of heritage houses as well, with small art stores or galleries in them. The team is all over them in the quietest of ways. Phil and Adrian have the eye. Adrian's calling it. Our crew stop in front of a stone Eastern European type church. Small in stature, but the type of place that older people in the community love. After a bit of jostling, they pull bandanas over their faces, look around. It's like 11 p.m., so most of the houses are dark and quiet. They begin to spray paint stuff on the front walls. Then Oscar takes out a crowbar and breaks open the front door. Adrian sees one of the guys making a Molotov cocktail. He advises the guys are trying to light it. The team has been inching up to the church with Filler calling for uniform support to the location, but to do so quietly. Sensing what the suspects are going to do, Filler calls for the takedown. He has seen enough. The team pulls up in a screech of tires and burning brakes. There is yelling as the team announce themselves. Everyone is in their officer safety vests and takedown jackets. 
One of the suspects freezes and is knocked down to the ground by Jacques, with the spray can still in his hands. A second suspect drops his carry bag and begins to run, but is quickly taken down by Ricky and Phil. Oscar tries to run with the crowbar in his hands. Adrian gets in the way. Oscar takes a swing. Big mistake. Adrian steps into the arc of the swing, grabs Oscar's arm, and then hip throws him to the ground, followed by a wicked armbar to relieve Oscar of the crowbar. Oscar is impressed and just lays there as Bev comes over to take him into custody. It was a nice move. Filler's impressed. Phil walks up to the fourth suspect, standing there with a lighted Molotov cocktail. The guy doesn't know what to do. Just as she goes to take him into custody, he panics. Phil catches him in the side of the head with a slap and then grabs the cocktail. She sees the first uniform car show up. She pushes the suspect to the ground and then puts the Molotov cocktail down in the middle of the street. One of the uniform guys comes over with a fire extinguisher and puts it out. She's such a cool operator. All of a sudden, there are all sorts of police vehicles on scene. Even the local commander, who has this relieved look on his face. As things settle down, the suspects are taken to the local station by the uniformed personnel. Filler looks around. There is a growing group of people standing there, many in their nightclothes with jackets over them. Some young, but most are older. There is already some of the older men standing there with brooms and pails. They are looking at the damage to their church. A grey-bearded holy man shows up with a black outfit with a huge cross hanging down. The people give him great reverence. This really means a lot to these people. A lot. The local commander goes over and talks to the priest. Soon a local municipal politician shows up and joins them. The church is strong in this neighborhood. Crime scene arrives along with the local investigative office. The team heads into the local station. The suspects are charged with criminal damage, attempted break and enter, and possession of an explosive substance, the Molotov cocktail, all part of a hate crime. Under interview, the whole group denies any other incidents, telling the investigators that they aren't hateful people. They were just screwing around. The writing is on the wall. The court will love it. The team heads back to the office where Ricky, Reggie, and Jacques want Adrian to give them the what's how on the slick moves. The team likes him already. Teams are like that. Part 2. The next day, the team is still clearing up the paperwork from the church at takedown. The media loved it and kept playing video all the time of the police response. It's funny. Adrian is always missing from the frame. He is very conscious of where the news cameras are well-trained spook. So the boss is in like four times to thank the team and get more gossip on the takedown. Finally, he remembers and asks Phil about how the evaluations are going. Filler tells him he just does a few more talks and then it's done. Seems to make the superintendent happy. Filler doesn't have the patience to ask when he gets called in for his talk. Hopefully the superintendent forgets. The superintendent comes back a fifth time to tell Filler that he is needed at a meeting at professional standards at 11. The superintendent advises he had another meeting and to update him when he got back. Filler was not happy. It's been months after the Marty thing before the team got back to normal. At 11 o'clock, Filler arrives at Professional Standards where he's met by Polson and Tipper, his friends, and brought into a conference room. They all sat down and chatted. Filler thought the whole thing was surreal. Polson finally got to the point. A constable by the name of Jones had approached his inspector to advise he was the victim of a pressure play by a known criminal to get information off the police computer system. Jones had a liaison with a female over the period of a couple weeks. Two days ago, he went over to the female's house thinking they were going to hook up again. When he got there, this known criminal, known as Frank, was sitting at the table waiting for him. Frank was subtle at first, telling Jones he knew that Jones was in a delicate situation as he was married. Frank went on. He understood and felt sorry for Jones, but he was sure they could come up with some understanding that would prevent Frank from telling Jones's wife that he had a girlfriend who was Frank's niece. Now, Filler knew there was no way this female was Frank's niece. She was probably a professional. Jones had come clean with his inspector. He hadn't done anything yet, with a computer system or anything. 
The inspector put Jones in a car and driven him straight to professional standards. No one else was in the know. Polson wanted to wire Jones and send him in to see Frank again and get Frank talking about the situation, hopefully get enough for an extortion type charge. Professional standards is huge on corruption. And if they can get an outside actor at the initial stages of one of these things, everybody's on board. Polson wants the team to go up on Frank as this thing comes together. Frank is expecting Jones in the parking lot of a coffee shop in about two hours. Frank has been texting Jones. The texts are getting more direct and threatening. Polson has some information on Frank. Filler tells him to email Janelle. Filler texts her first, copying Phil and Alan. Polson takes Filler next door and Jones is sitting in the room getting wired up by tech support. They have put a program on his phone and they have a very subtle wire placed on his body. They start doing some tests and the tech is operating properly. Jones is a mess. After this operation, he has to come clean with his wife. Filler goes back to the other room with Polson and they call Janelle. Phil and Alan are in the room. Filler lets them know what's up. Filler tells Filler that they think they know where Frank is. Filler tells Phil to brief the team and head out to the area. Filler will meet them there, along with professional standards who have a tech team with them to support the operation. So Frank runs a travel agency, and the team see him walking around his side through the almost full-length windows. He has like four other people working there at least. Polson calls, and they meet his on in 45 minutes. They are with Jones and tech support. Everything is working well. 30 minutes later, Frank leaves the travel agency and gets in his SUV. He starts driving towards the coffee shop. Frank shows no signs of counter and makes his way without incident. Frank parks in the lot of the shop waiting. The team sets up with Phil and Adrian going to the outdoor seating and picking up a coffee. Filler meets up with Polson and gets into his vehicle so he can hear the wires. The team reports that Jones has arrived as well. Jones gets out of his car. Filler is glad he isn't Jones. It must suck. Jones and Frank sit down at an outside table away from everyone else. The wire is good. Frank lays into Jones, accusing him of trying to ignore him. Frank shows Jones a picture of his kids and his wife. It was taken today. Frank goes on that Jones had better give him the information he wants. He's not a patient man. Jones pushes back a bit. Frank goes on to say that not only will his wife find out what he's been up to, but she will get roughed up as well. Or the female could come forward and tell the police everything was against her will, all on tape. The team notices a vehicle approach from down the street. It's a black sedan, not a police vehicle. Frank looks over his shoulder, clocks the car. He tells Jones that the boys are here. They're going to drive Jones to the station to get the information he wants off the police computer. He takes a folded piece of paper out of his pocket and pushes it across the table. He tells Jones the boys are armed and not to mess around. The two guys in the car exit and start walking towards Frank and Jones. Polson looks at Filler. It's done. Phil orders the takedown. Phil and Alan jump first and grab Frank, who is very surprised, and then angry. As they take him into custody, they find a small semi-automatic pistol in his waistband. Ricky, Reggie, Ted, Bev, and Jacques take down the two late arrivals quickly. All five of the officers had their officer safety vests and raid jackets on. There is an assortment of pistols and longer weapons out. The two goons freeze. They are surprised as well. No resistance. Recovered, two large handguns, and later, in the car, a machete under the seat and a grenade in the glove box. What idiots. The team calls out the bomb section a tactical. It's a real grenade. They secure it. Everyone heads down to professional standards for processing and interviewing. Jones is really shaken up when he realizes the extent of Frank and his guys. He now realizes how much trouble he would have been in. Professional standards has already sent a team to Jones's house to watch out for anything. Jones has called his wife and told her that there's a situation, that he was sorry, and that he would be home in an hour not to go out. She must be freaking out. Professional Standards gets an employee support worker out to talk to Jones. The worker, along with Jones's inspector, will go to his house with him. It's not going to be a good scene. Not sure of the future of that situation. 
Frankie and his colleagues aren't saying anything. Frank cracks off to professional standards that they have nothing. Then they play a couple nice parts of the tape. He shuts up and calls a lawyer. He knows he is in big shit now. He is exposed. People can say what they want in court, but audio and video doesn't lie. After all the paperwork, the team heads out, glad they aren't Jones. At all. Part 3. The next day, the team is still cleaning up some of the paperwork from the professional standards job. Sad situation, but a better result than the Marty thing. That still stings. Follow-up information from professional standards is that both goons' fingerprints and DNA are on the machete and the grenade. Crime scene also found blood on the machete blade. They put the blood into the system and came back with a crime scene hit for a murder a couple of months back. The information is being passed on to the murder team looking after that. The goons could get a minimum seven years for the grenade, but maybe that's the least of their concerns. At 10 o'clock, Filler gets a call from Kevin, the surveillance boss from the National Police whom he bumped into on the spy case. Kevin's in the neighborhood and wants to know if he can drop by. Filler said no problem. There's no way he just happened to be in the area. 30 minutes later, Kevin walks in. They exchange small talk for a bit, and then Kevin brings up the reason for the visit. They have info that a shipment of heroin is coming into the airport in a courier shipment. It is around the two kilo weight. The idea is to open the package in customs, confirm what it is, and then substitute an inert substance to let the delivery happen. The package is going to one of those courier storefronts where the customer picks it up. Info is that a former customs officer is the target, and he probably knows most of the faces of the surveillance teams that Kevin would use. The National Police want to follow the target to where it's supposed to go and do a takedown and hopefully get as much of the organization involved as possible. They need a clean team. The shipment will arrive late tonight, which will allow Customs and the National Police to open it, do a quick test, and then seize the drugs and insert a substitute. They're planning to allow the courier company to get possession first thing tomorrow. Would his team be available to follow the courier truck from the airport to the storefront and then watch the pickup and delivery by the ex-customs guy. Kevin will be the liaison to assist with the where and what. There is a cooperating witness at the store who will notify them when the pickup takes place. Filler is all for it and quickly telephones the superintendent and let him know what they're doing. The superintendent loves this as it's part of his cooperation phase. Kevin arranges for the info to be sent to Janelle. Filler briefs the team with Kevin and they are all in. The team arranges to come in at 7 o'clock a.m. when they head out to the airport. By 8 o'clock, the team is in place around the airport. The package was 2.1 kilos of heroin. Good quality. It's a go. Kevin has arranged for Phil in her vehicle to have an eye on the courier van, which has just arrived to pick up the shipments, including the package we are concerned about. At 8.20, the van heads out. Phil stays on it until they leave the airport, at which time the full team joins and the following operation begins. This is the easy part of the project. The courier driver drives straight to a series of storefronts dropping off packages. At 9.15, the courier stopped at the storefront where the package was destined for. The courier and some of the staff quickly unload the parcels for that location. About 20 minutes later, the inside contact advised that the package has been scanned and the customer would have received an email. Kevin's people don't know where the target was. They'd been trying to locate him for days. At 10.15, Jacques spots the target pulling in with his car. The target gets out of his car and takes a good look around. The whole team was static so the target wouldn't be drawn to any movement. He then walks slowly towards the store. He's so cool. The team had decided not to put anyone inside. The place was too small and the target had been around cops and custom people for years. He'd just know. So the target picked up the package and coolly walks back to his car. He is a cool customer. He drives off with the team starting up their tailing operation. 
They ring up the changes as necessary. He, they sense a little counter, but nothing really serious. The target starts heading back to the airport. What is going on? He then pulls into the parking lot of a chain hotel. At the back of the lot is a black Suburban with two guys sitting in it. Besides the Suburban is another vehicle, a black sedan with another two guys in it. Our target pulls up and gets out of his car with the package and climbs into the back of the Suburban. The two guys in the sedan get out and stand by the Suburban. The plate comes back to some numbered company. Kevin realizes it belongs to a pretty high up drug guy. Kevin makes a quick call and it's time for TD. This guy is significant. Kevin gets info that the guy has just flown in earlier in the morning from the same destination as the package. Coincidence? Not. Kevin had the National Police's tactical team on standby for the operation. They'd been falling way behind so not to be seen. Kevin calls for the TD. Four plane vans roll in at warp speed and screech to a halt, blocking in the two cars. Sixteen heavily armed paramilitary guys with police on the front of their uniforms pile out and it's all over. One of the goons runs for it, but this tactical team has a dog. You can't outrun a four-wheeled drive animal. So all five suspects, including the target, are in custody. A couple of National Police drug officers arrive, and everyone is taken back to their office. It's a big score. The main guy, Jackie, he's pissed. Filler saw the look he gave our target. Importing narcotics is a minimum 70-year stretch in prison. That's if you don't already have a record. Not the case with our boys. After writing up and handing over the video and photos, the team heads back to the office to finish up. Nice play. Superintendent is happy. He loves to talk to the chief about cooperation between agencies. That's nice. Part 4 The next morning, the team are out watching a vehicle at the end of a side street in an industrial area. It's kind of parked behind a dumpster. There's only one way out, so the team doesn't have to expose itself at all. They can see what's going in and what's coming out. There's actually a little diner at the top of the T intersection. The team drew lots and Jacques, big surprise, and Reggie got to have a seat. Apparently the coffee is excellent. The rest of the team is not impressed. So robbery was apparently swamped right now and this vehicle was used in a robbery at a bakery in the Sun Hill area of the city. Two suspects had been overly aggressive using more force than it was necessary. Robbery was concerned about robbery generally, but there seems to be a spike in robberies being committed by what they call amateurs. Professionals are judicial in the amount of force they use, and they are better at reading situations to minimize risk. These suspects had pistol whipped one of the staff that froze during the robbery. A professional would have realized that and bypassed that employee and continued on. Everyone was okay, but it was a bad situation, apparently. Now, Phillips from robbery wasn't sure if the suspects were coming back for the car. There had been no attempt to destroy it to interfere with any forensic examination. The prevailing thought was to watch it for a day or two in case it was still in play. So the team did their thing, and the watching game began. The team was good at moving in and out of the area, so no one stood out for long. While this was going on, Filler got a call from the corruption section of the fraud squad. The section looked at corruption within the government institutions. Filler didn't know much about what they did, but he had heard in the monthly swap meeting with the other squads in detective operations that the corruption section was coming to the end of an 18-month investigation involving some senior staff members in the municipal government. Apparently, they were working with a team from the National Police who also had an integrity section that had a similar purpose. Filler was talking to an inspector called Tyson, who was running the whole thing. He advised that a team of 12 investigators from both the service and the National Police were getting to wind up the case, but they had a few operational things to happen and needed the team to provide surveillance while some of these final pieces came together. He wanted to know if Filler was available tomorrow to sit down and have a strategy meeting. Filler told Tyson he would be there. 
Just after Filler got off the phone, Jacques called out the two males had just turned down the road towards the car. These two were so obvious, trying not to stand out. They kept turning around so Reggie got a good photo of both guys. He quickly flipped the photos to Janelle, who advised that they seemed to match the package from robbery. Filler called robbery and Phillips advised that the forensics had just sent back a report from their examinations of the scene. Our amateurs had left prints with DNA still pending. Janelle had sent him the photos and Phillips was thinking maybe they should just take them down. As the conversation was going on, the suspects had entered the car and were beginning to move out. The team set up for a tailing operation on the pair. Over the next 20 minutes, the pair seemed to be scoping out a number of strip plazas, like they were looking for a score. They were such amateurs. Dangerous amateurs, but amateurs just the same. Filler was concerned, as were Phil and Alan. Filler and Phillips talked, and the robbery now had enough for an arrest, and after a quick word with their inspector, Phillips decided they couldn't risk another robbery. These two were too dangerous, they were out of control, and someone would get hurt. It wasn't worth it. So Filler told the team to get ready for a TD. The pair were still searching for a target. The team was waiting for the best, safe opportunity to box them in. As the vehicle stopped for a light, the suspect in the passenger seat jumped out of the car and knocked down a female pedestrian. He then grabbed her purse, what an idiot, and jumped back in the car. Filler called for a TD. The team boxed in the suspect car and everyone jumped out with their officer safety vests and raid jackets on. They deployed a variety of handguns, MP5s, and shotguns. The surprise look on the suspects. The driver tried to ram the containment vehicles, which prompted Alan to smash the driver's side window with the butt of a shotgun he was carrying. With the business end of the shotgun now pointed at them, the two suspects decided it was over. They were pulled from the vehicle and taken into custody. The team located two handguns and the purse just stolen. The victim was okay, but shaken. Robbery started arriving and Phillips quickly got caught up. Two of the surveillance vehicles were damaged, one extensively. The paperwork involved now just doubled. Traffic had to come to investigate the accident. Like there was any doubt to the cause. Everyone went back to robbery to sort it out. The suspects weren't cooperative, which was fine. We had them solid on the bakery and now this robbery purse snatch thing. Some forensics were now available for another robbery at a convenience store, placing these two suspects there as well. In the end, there was a pile of charges laid for three robberies along with weapons offenses. It was a good end to these suspects' current robbery season. Back at the office, everyone finished up a few things. The superintendent came in to say hi to make sure everyone was okay. Then Filler and him had a talk about the damaged cars and the importance of not getting them in accidents. Which is funny because this wasn't an accident. It was a criminal act by the suspects trying to get away. None of the team was in their cars when they were damaged. Filler just let it ride. They were just cars. In the end, everybody was okay. The next morning, Filler, Phil, Allen, along with Janelle, attended at the meeting regarding the corruption case. There was a mixture of the corruption team along with the National Police Integrity Officers and Kevin from the uh, National Police Surveillance Group. Inspector Tyson got up and read through a short synopsis to get everyone up to date. The joint team had identified a developer who had managed to gain the influence of a municipal councillor, a procurement officer, as well as his assistant. The developer had just gained the contract to a road repair project worth $1.2 billion over the next five years. A very nice contract. During the investigation, it was learned that the procurement guy now had a new pool worth $25K and was driving a nice suburban rented for him by the developer. He'd been driving it, or his wife, for over a year. The assistant had about 50k of renovation work done, paid for by the developer. The counselor and his family had gone on a two-week trip to the islands, cleverly paid for by the developer. As well, there had been substantial payments to the counselor's re-election campaign through a number of straw donors to the tune of 200,000k. The joint team had been quietly doing a series of search warrants and had put together most of the evidence needed to prove the case. 
More recently, the joint team had gone up on wiretaps on the four suspects. The developer kept ditching phones, but the three government types kept to their original phones. At 10 o'clock tomorrow morning, the four suspects were going to meet where the developer was going to hand over cash money to the other three suspects to seal the deal. They had all been talking code, but the joint team figured out this payment was well into six figures. All the suspects would be there as the three government types didn't trust each other when it came to money. The joint team wanted all four suspects followed individually to the meet. There was a takedown plan as they wanted to isolate the parties. In the calls monitored, it seemed like the assistant was having some doubts, so I wanted to get her into an interview situation really quickly to take up the opportunity and then move on from there. Each suspect would be arrested shortly after leaving the meet. Filler and the team were given the assistant. All the teams were giving packages with a rendezvous at the National Police Garage on the outskirts of the city, away from curious eyes. Security was paramount. Phil and the team members went back to the office to uh, brief the rest of the team out what was going on. Everyone was keen. The plan was well laid out and it would be a change to deal with non-violent suspects. The next morning it was quite a sight. Phil and the team were joined by another of the service's surveillance teams along with two national police teams. Tyson was there to answer any last minute questions. Wiretaps from last night found out that the location of the meet for the suspect was going to be a parking lot by the river. The joint team had silently, during the night, placed pole cameras in the area, along with highly secretive cameras in the flower beds. Seemed kind of cloak and dagger to the team. Everyone headed out. The team got to the assistant's house in good time as she lived closest. The team set up and everyone was good to go. At 8.37, she headed out in her car. She seemed nervous, but the team hadn't followed her before, so this was just an initial impression. She was a really slow and deliberate driver. The team already felt sorry for her. They knew she was a willing part of this, but you know how teams are. They like her. So as they approached the park, the team fell away and set up nearby. Filler had a second tactical radio on a side channel. He heard as one by one the suspects all arrived. Tyson was calling it out like it was a sporting event. The last one to arrive was the counselor. They all parked near each other. There was a little talking as the developer tried to friendly it up. He saw a profitable relationship with these folks. They just wanted their money to get out of there. He, with a great gesture, handed each of the remaining suspects a cloth shopping bag. The counselor actually looked inside and then started to smile. The counselor and the developer shook hands. The procurement guy and his assistant both nodded, and then when the counselor turned to leave, they couldn't leave quick enough. As each of the suspects left the park, they were picked up by their teams, waiting for Tyson to give the TD signal. The assistant was second, and the team quickly fell in line. She drove away as carefully as before. She seemed to be going home rather than to work. About ten minutes later, Tyson ordered the TD. Bev pulled in front of the assistant as she stopped for a red light. Filler boxed her in from the back. Phil and Jacques approached the car. They were in business attire and knocked on her window, showing their badges. The team had thought long and hard on how to do this with the best message being put forward. The assistant got out of her car with her head down. She just knew. Jacques reached in and grabbed the bag. Phil arrested her for corruption. The assistant said, I know. She was then read her rights by Phil. She understood. Phil put her in the back of the car and her and Jacques drove her to the joint team's office. When she was shown to the interview room, she wanted to tell Phil and Jacques everything. The original plan was for the joint team to do the interview, but with her talking, everything pivoted. Phil began the long interview. She was good. She and Jacques had earpieces so that the joint team could provide guidance during the interview as neither her or Jacques had any intimate details of the investigation. She just gave it up. The procurement guy was a little tougher. Eventually, after a nice series of photographs and video and the bag of money, he gave it up as well. 
the counselor went berserk. He wanted to talk to the chief, the mayor, the minister of justice, and then the prime minister. The chief had quietly made some calls to the mayor and the city's top officials to let them know of the arrests and that they should stay out of it, both practically and in public. They all wanted to distance themselves from it. The national police had quietly approached the relevant federal politicians and they as well stayed off the battlefield. The developer said nothing. His high-priced lawyers immediately went into the new spin cycle and tried everything to make their client look like a victim. The joint team had a press conference later in the day where the piles of money made a good prop. The public was intrigued by the story. The money recovered, 300 k for the counselor, 200 k for the procurement guy, and 150 k for the assistant. All forfeited to Her Majesty the Queen. Nice. <laughs> 